the Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. We're going to talk about green energy and environmental policy today. First, about solar power and a chance we might have to expand that form of energy here in Michigan. And then we're going to hear about an experiment with community-led zero-carbon energy solutions in Highland Park, aimed at making that city more sustainable and energy more affordable for the people who live there. That's all coming up on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Thanks for tuning in. So there's a lot of pessimism around about our climate crisis. We all know, or we all should know, that the earth is heating up. But there are a lot of people who are skeptical that policies are going to be passed fast enough to usher in a carbonless future or even pull back on the amount of carbon we put into the atmosphere, which is what's causing the planet to heat. And that's led some people to think about becoming minimalists, to advocate that we need to be using less energy, cutting down on our total energy consumption in every way that we can. And while there are good reasons for these ideas to be surfaced and to push them, there are other people who are pushing for a techno-optimist future, a place where we can have our cake and eat it too. These advocates are dreaming of a place where we can continue to produce and consume energy at really high rates, but with cool and interesting carbon zero technologies that we can live in homes and buildings powered by the sun or the wind, electric batteries, and other naturally occurring resources. This week is Earth Week, and to celebrate, we're going to be doing things a little different here on the show. We're doing deep dives into net zero carbon technologies that could be our future for everyone, everywhere here in America. Those technologies would bring about a place where we don't have to do more with less, but where we can indulge in cool carbonless materials that look slick and bring down our carbon footprint. We want to kick off the week with Charlotte Jamison, who is Chief Policy Officer for the Michigan Environmental Council. She's here to discuss the current and future state of solar power in Michigan. Solar power is one of these really cool, slick technologies that could maintain our current energy footprint, but really greatly reduce the carbon output from it. Charlotte, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. So uh, let's start here. Did did I overstate perhaps the potential for solar energy in my open there? Am I too excited about what could happen? Uh, the idea that we could have the sun 
produce as much energy as we need right now and cut down on the carbon footprint that is heating the earth? No, I don't think you overstated. You know, we barely scratched the surface here in Michigan on our solar potential. And um, there's just a huge amount of room to go that we could really be uh, taking advantage of in terms of investing in utility scale solar, the large arrays, and also rooftop solar, um, community solar, all different forms of solar. That being said, though, I will say that solar is a piece of the puzzle, right? It's not gonna, it's not gonna be the silver bullet that decarbonizes our economy. It's a very important piece of the puzzle, but it is just one piece um, in addition to wind energy, batteries, energy efficiency, all of these other things that we need to electric vehicles. Um, we need to get serious about here in Michigan. Let's talk about how solar power actually works and why it's a clean or cleaner technology to provide energy than the things that we rely on now. Yeah, I mean, the the short uh, version of that is that the sun activates the solar panels and produces electricity. Um, and so there's no fuel involved. The fuel is sunlight. Um, the longer version is that there are semiconductor wafers inside each panel. Um, and one layer is positively charged, the other is negatively charged. And when the sunlight uh, hits it, forms, um, uh, energizes the cells um, and causes electrons to come loose. And then the, the, um, the surrounding electric field uh, um, sets those uh, loose uh, electrons into motion and that that creates electricity. And so um, that's kind of the longer, more technical version. But the short version is um, it's clean because we're getting the power from the sun. And what are the limitations of that, uh, or if any? Is this something that, you know, I think a lot of people think about how many days of sunshine we have, for instance, uh, and they think of uh, how you store this kind of energy over a long period of time, and they think, well, it's not really going to replace uh, the natural gas that gets uh, pumped into my house or the electricity. What, what, what's the limitation, I guess, of solar energy? Yeah, I mean, folks will say the sun doesn't always shine, right? And here in Michigan, we're pretty cloudy. And so people look out the window and say, wow, solar doesn't look like something we can we can do here. Um, the reality is, though, that we have a lot of potential. There are a lot of sunny days in Michigan, um, even in the winter. Um, and in fact, solar panels produce a little bit more in the winter because the, the weather is colder. Um we do need storage. Uh, we do need uh, batteries and we need to bring on more batteries to, to balance out that uh, when the sun is shining and when it isn't and to make sure that we have consistent uh, energy supply for people. Um, in Michigan, we're a little bit lucky in the near term because we do have um, the Ludington pump storage facility, um, which is a big uh, water battery, essentially, um, pump storage battery. Oh. Um, so we've got some room where we have battery storage, we've got this pump storage system, 
uh, we could be bringing on some more of these variable types of, of energy like wind and solar. Um, and our utilities are, in fact, uh, heading down that road. Um, but we, you know, in, in several years later in the decade, we are going to have to get really serious about building batteries and getting people in home battery systems, too. I'm talking with uh, Charlotte Jamison, who is Chief Policy Officer of the Michigan Environmental Council. Uh, we're talking this Earth Week about technologies, uh, interesting innovations that could help us reduce our carbon footprints, but also maybe would allow us to continue using as much energy and uh, living the lives uh, that we have for, for such a long time. In other words, having our cake and eating it too. Is that possible when you think of green energy or future environmental policy? Uh, we want to hear from you during this conversation as well. Uh, do you use solar power on your house? That's what we're talking about right now, the potential for solar power. Uh, we would really love to hear what the process was like in getting solar panels to provide power to your home. Uh, do you want to get solar power and maybe think it's too expensive, something that's uh, out of reach for you? Or have you had other problems trying to get solar power uh, to your house. Uh, also, give us a sense of how enthusiastic you are about switching the way that you get power to your house or to your car. Uh, are you somebody who is eager to, to, to reduce the carbon footprint that uh, all of us create with, uh, with our needs for power as a way of stopping the earth from heating as fast or as dramatically uh, as it is. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation. Um, uh, Charlotte, I, I want to talk about how uh, how we're doing in Michigan with solar power and um, w how we compare to other states, I guess, uh, in, in terms of how far along they are. Where, where do we rank? Yeah, so in Michigan, we only generate about 0.5% of our overall energy from solar power. So we're just at the cusp of, of what we could be doing in the solar realm. In terms of like small, that's mostly utility scale solar, these larger arrays. Um, in terms of smaller scale solar, the solar that you put on your roof or that businesses, um, you know, put on site, uh, you know, there's probably around 12,000 customers in the state that have it. So again, very small percentage of the pie um, and, and a lot of room for growth. In terms of where Michigan ranks compared to other states, we're sort of middle of the pack. We're, we're 26, um, according to the Solar Energy Industries Association, in terms of the amount of installed solar. Um, things are a little skewed because you've got states like California and Hawaii that are leaps and bounds above everybody else. Um, uh, and then you have some other states that are, you know, way farther behind than even Michigan. Um, so we're sort of, we're sort of in that, that middle tier of states where we've got a lot of potential that we haven't tapped into, um, but we have made some progress. Hmm. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number 
on the phones. Let's start today with Brian in Gross Point. Brian, welcome to the show. Hey, Stephen. Great topic. Uh, I'm calling from Gross Point. I'm actually the uh, chair of our community engagement committee here in Gross Point Park, and we are super excited actually to be hosting a a town talk at uh, the Tompkins Center at Windmill Point Park on this very topic. We are having a uh, local home solar designer come excuse me, to speak to our community and walk us through kind of the ins and outs of having solar attached to your home. We are super excited about green and renewable technologies and uh, really excited to celebrate Earth Day this year with some information for our residents. Hmm. So uh, tell me about uh, solar in Gross Point. Brian, I, are you somebody who's who's using solar power? I know? am not yet, but I am super excited about it, and I'm actually uh, one of the interested residents that wants to hear more. Um, you know, it's certainly uh, new to the community, um, but we are seeing more and more of it come up as the economics uh, seem to make more sense to folks. Um, in, in addition to the you know carbon footprint issues. Um, and it's a really, really cool technology, having talked to the solar designer personally a few times. And, uh, you know, there's some things that uh, were not totally intuitive. So uh, we're just very excited to share more information with uh, the people. Hmm. Hmm. Brian, I'm really glad you called and uh, shared what's going on in uh, your community around this whole idea of solar power. Uh, I, I want to talk just a little, Charlotte, about how this could be made easier for Brian and people and in his community. There's some legislation that could make it cheaper to use solar and sell the excess energy back to the grid. Uh, talk a little about House Bill 4236 uh, and, and if it passed and was passed fully and signed by the governor, how quickly it might spread solar in Michigan. Yeah, so Michigan right now has a cap on, essentially it translates into the number of of installations of small-scale rooftop solar we allow um, to be enrolled in uh, our distributed generation rate um, and connected to the grid. Um, This cap was put on in 2008. Um, It's 1% of retail sales, so total utility sales. Um, And uh, we put it on in 2008 because it was a new technology. Um, We didn't really know sort of what uh, the future of residential solar looked like. We wanted to be a little cautious about how it might impact the grid um, and impact other ratepayers. Um, but fast forward several decades, and we have realized that solar is incredibly beneficial, especially small-scale distributed solar. Um, it's beneficial not just to the folks who, you know, put it on their own homes and and uh, reduce their own energy um, bills, but it's also the excess solar um, that goes back to the grid flows to your neighbors um, primarily. Um, and so it's beneficial um, in terms of overall rate payers reducing line losses, helping uh, your neighborhood pow- be powered by renewables. Um, and we've just got a better sense of the technology. And so this cap is really outdated and, and unnecessary. Um, but again, it's it's a barrier um, for folks to put solar on their roofs um, and connect to the grid. Um, because once you hit a cap in a utility service territory, there's really no options for you. 
Um, we have hit that cap in the Upper Peninsula where rates are incredibly high. And so folks are looking for ways to, to reduce their um, energy bills and have, have gone gangbusters around solar. Um, the utility up there increased the cap voluntarily, but we hit it again. Um, in consumers territory, we hit the cap um, and they voluntarily increased it to 2%. Um, and we're on track to hit it again soon. Um, DTE it's territory, we're also on track to hit the 1% in this next year, probably in the fourth quarter. So um, again, once we once we hit that cap, uh, you know, it, there's not really an, an option for people to put solar on and be grid connected and receive a, a fair um, rate for the energy that they provide back to the grid. Mm. Um, the house bill that you reference would eliminate that cap entirely um, and, and would really help the solar industry have certainty over the long run that there is a market here and um, we're not going to arbitrarily kill that market. Um, and that, you know, it would allow folks to freely put solar on their properties um, without a, an arbitrary sort of limit on, on that access. So what are the chances? that uh, this bill faces in the legislature? Not great, unfortunately. <laughs> the, the utility companies, DT and consumers, really, really, really are opposed to small-scale solar. Yeah. Um, I, you know, we've run up against them on a number of issues and we've found common ground on a number of issues, but their opposition to small-scale solar has really caught me by surprise. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a long term business uh, concern for them, right? The more energy that you're producing, the less you're buying from them. Sure. Um, they do also maintain that there's impacts on other ratepayers. Um, we've, you know, we disagree with that argument um, and believe that the rate that we have set for for customers with solar right now accounts for the costs and benefits um, that those customers bring to the grid. Um, but yes, they're incredibly powerful in Lansing um, and have persuaded the, the chair of the House Energy Committee to stall the bill out. So um, Representative Bellino, who's the chair of the, the House Energy Committee, is just sitting on that bill and, and not moving it because the utility companies are opposed to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do need to mention here that just for complete transparency, we need to say that uh, DTE financially supports WDET's coverage of environmental uh, issues, something that we're quite grateful for, but also doesn't uh, prevent us from talking about uh, uh, things where we think DTE is uh, is not embracing the kind of policy that uh, that we think would be best for uh, the environment. Okay, when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation about uh, solar energy and other technologies that could reduce the carbon footprint, but maybe not ask us to sacrifice much in our lives. We're going to continue to hear from you on social media and on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number here. I'd love to hear from more people who are experimenting with solar energy or other forms of uh, carbonless uh, energy footprint uh, kind of technologies. Uh, call and tell us how easy it is to do that. Call and tell us uh, whether you have to sacrifice 
energy things and needs uh, in order to do that. Uh, you can also go to social media, Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll try to include you in the show that way. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDT. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It is Earth Week, and we are doing something a little different uh, on the show as part of Earth Week, talking about technologies, in some cases really slick and cool technologies, that would help us reduce our carbon footprint, but also may not ask us to make energy sacrifices. In other words, what if you could run all the power-hungry things in your house the way you do now, but do it with the power from the sun or other forms of uh, carbon zero uh, technology. Um, we're talking about the possibility of that and how we might make it easier for people to do those kinds of things here in Michigan. Our guest right now is Charlotte Jamison. She's chief policy officer for the Michigan Environmental Council, which is a nonprofit advocating for environmental policies. In a little bit, we are going to talk with uh, some folks from Highland Park about uh, an organization that's creating a smart neighborhood to make Highland Park more sustainable and make energy more affordable for people in that city. You're going to want to stay tuned to that uh, conversation as well. Meanwhile, we want to hear from you in this conversation. Tell us about your experience with solar power or alternative forms of energy? Have you found it easy to embrace those kinds of technologies? Use them in your home or uh, in your car? Uh, give us a sense of what that process looks like and how easy you find the trade-offs to be. Are there trade-offs? Uh, are you maybe able to do all the things that you want to do even though uh, you're using an alternative energy source. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and to Twitter and put comments there, and uh, we can include you in the conversation that way. Michael on Twitter says, related to solar generation at the bigger level, farms, isn't the battery issue significant? It's my understanding that there isn't a battery technology yet for that, so it's not more batteries. Isn't it that we don't have battery technology at that level? Great question, Charlotte. What's the answer? We do. We have, there are large scale lithium ion batteries. There's other um, other sorts of uh, battery technology that's being developed. Um, we do need something that's like long duration batteries, which is batteries that can can hold energy for longer and, and siphon it off uh, over time. And that's an area where we need more technological development. The issue, though, in the near term um, is cost. Um, so we do have batteries that we could deploy at scale now that would um, help in terms of solar development, um, but they're still relatively expensive. And so trying to sort of balance out costs to, to rate payers and what that means for your bill um, with the decarbonization um, that needs to happen in the power sector, those those sort of cost issues become paramount. And so I think 
Um, we're going to continue to see declines in costs in batteries, and we're going to continue to see um, advances in battery technology, um, just like we did with solar. Um, and so I, I'm hopeful that in the next, uh, you know, several years, um, when it becomes really, really critical that we start deploying batteries um, at scale, that 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 uh, price issue and those technological hurdles will will have overcome them. Uh, again, thanks for the for the comment, Michael, and the question. Big Neo on Twitter says uh, the limit for solar panels should be based on the size of your property, not DTE's profit margins. All homes in the U.S. should be able to have the max solar panels and zero-axis windmills, but regulations written by the power companies uh, prevent it. Stop corporate greed. Uh, a return to this question of the role that uh, that DTE is playing um, in the development of alternative energy. Let's go back to the phones here. Uh, Marty and Riley, welcome to the show. What's going on? Hey, how are hey, you? Um, very good, very good. I just wanted to add that uh, I think the biggest hurdle right now is the fact that Michigan got rid of net metering, so you can't properly calculate your return on investment when you're deciding whether or not to make that you know, financial, uh, you know, investment in solar in, in your house. Hmm. Uh, that's an interesting point, Marty. I'm glad you called. Um, Charlotte, let's first talk about what net metering is and what role it plays in this conversation. Yeah. So, so retail net metering, I think, is the easiest way to sort of explain this. So retail net metering is essentially that you uh, you have solar on your, on your house um, and uh, any energy you pull off the grid, you pay the retail rate, which in Michigan is, I guess, in the DTE service territory, it's about 16, 17 cents a kilowatt hour. Any energy you use at your house is offset at, you know, that rate. And then any energy that you provide back to the, to the grid um, is compensated, you're compensated at that same retail rate. Um, so it's really easy to to calculate, um, as the caller was saying, um, and to understand sort of what your payback uh, period is. Um, in Michigan, again, due largely to utility opposition and concern, um, we moved away from that system. So we had that in place until um, just a few years ago. Um, and there are folks who are grandfathered in for several years that still have retail net metering. Um, but for everybody else, uh, we've moved to this thing called a distributed generation tariff. Mm -hmm. And those that tariff, which is essentially a rate, is set um, by the Public Service Commission, and it's based on the utility service territory. So um, the rates are slightly different in each utility service territory, which makes things a little confusing for um, solar companies who operate across the state. Um, but essentially what that rate did was it reduced the, the credit that you um, get for the energy that you provide back to the grid. So in DTE service territory, instead of that 16, 17 cents a kilowatt hour, um, the retail rate, um, any excess energy that you provide back to the grid, you're now more at like seven or eight cents a kilowatt hour. Um, so it's pretty significant reduction. And DTE actually just put in a, 
uh, new rate case um, at the commission, and they are asking uh, to go even lower and to also slap a grid charge on people. So mm. just a charge monthly for being connected to the grid. Um, so again, really, really uh, um, draconian kind of rate uh, changes um, that are intended to, to sort of cut the economic feet out from underneath the small-scale solar um, industry and make it pretty unappealing for anybody to to put solar on their homes. Yeah, yeah. Um, Summer on Twitter says, I'm curious about energy costs and environmental impacts of the manufacture of the panels and the batteries necessary to implement solar power. My understanding is this type of mining is destructive to communities and the environment. Uh, Charlotte, what's the answer to that? Is it is it uh, trading off, I guess, uh, one form of pollution and carbon footprint for another uh, to, to, to try to create, uh, you know, the capacity for these these solar panels? Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to kind of your setup at the beginning, which is, you know, we are a consumer based economy and Anytime we consume or produce a, a good, it has an impact on our environment. Um, and the caller is right that that solar is, is not all upside, right? There are downsides um, to the production and manufacture of, of the panels, um, namely the, the kind of resource-limited materials that we need. Um, you know, the semiconductors that produce the the wafers that are inside the panels um, are, you know, incredibly energy intensive. Um, and so there there are some downsides there. That being said, though, the if you look across sort of the the impacts of all of our energy generation decisions, I think solar and wind have some of the least downsides. Mm. Um, you know, you think about coal and uh, uh, mountaintop mining and all the horrible sorts of things that we've done in the name of producing coal, and then we still have the emissions out the other end. Um, and then you think about fracking and natural gas and and the fact that you have emissions. So I think you know there are there are horrible problems to each of these sorts of. Um, these these sorts of energy generation, but I think solar, when stacked against the other um, the other options, really is uh, um, head and tail above the rest in terms of having the least um, environmental negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, Summer, thanks very much for the question on social media. Let's go to Keith in Trenton, who is back with us. Keith, welcome to the show. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I- I'm a homeowner here in Trenton, and I was, uh, I'm was i really reluctant to put solar panels on my roof in case I need to replace a roof someday or poking holes in a roof uh, and not getting into local building codes, but are there, can, can I put solar panels in my yard on a stand of some sort? What's up with that? Great question, uh, uh, Keith, and, and I love that it's a very practical question, right? If, if I want to do this, how do I do it in a way that doesn't compromise my home or violate uh, local local ordinances and, and regulations? Uh, Charlotte, what's the answer about, first, this idea of what solar panels do to your roof if you put them on? Uh, is it easy to, to get them off? Do they compromise the roof in any way? Uh, but then also, 
what what other options people might have if the roof is not not the right place? Yeah, the the long story or the short story is that they don't uh, impact your your roof negatively. We've you know uh, solar companies have been installing these things for a long time and um, have figured out um, uh, really good ways of of mounting these to roofs that don't um, uh, compromise the structural integrity or you know uh, risk kind of leaks or those sorts of things. But I totally hear the caller in terms of wanting other options. And ground-mounted solar is uh, is a really great option for a lot of folks, um, especially if you live in a more rural area and you have more acreage. Um, and depending on your home, ground-mounted solar might be the best option. You want to look at where the sun uh, strikes your property the most and the longest, and that's where you want to site your solar. And so if that's on your roof, um, great. If that's in your, in a field, you know, in your yard, that, that works too. Um, you will want to look into kind of some of the, the local, um, requirements and ordinances around that. I know, I live in Ann Arbor and we have um, some requirements around the the direction that ground mounted solar can face, hmm. um, which is rather funny. But uh, but yeah, so I, I think it's a really good option for folks who have um, a large yard um, that's, you know, free of trees and other obstructions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Keith, good luck with uh, with your quest to to embrace solar energy and uh, let us know what, what you end up doing. Uh, let's go to Cindy in the cast corridor. Cindy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I, DTE has been against uh, net metering for years, you know, and they also, when the solar first came out, I had to go, or I, I don't know if I went up there, but the only place DTE had a workshop with a contractor was at the very northern edge, almost at, into the next territory for Michigan Consolidated Gas that gave 85%, 85 cents a kilowatt hour if you generated it, where DTE was giving very little, the minimum they could. But years ago, public lighting um, at Adam Mastersky they they uh, supplied energy to Cobo Hall, all the uh, schools, mm-hmm. the government buildings, a lot of the residents, and they actually paid for the recreation department budget out of what they uh, generated out of Mastersky. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, McPherson, Kansas, they we have a public utility there. They need to have uh, go back to having public utility, public ownership of the grid and everything else, because when you're, they're motivated by money, they're not motivated by <laughs> public health. Public interest, sure. Cindy, I, I, I really appreciate the call and the, the, the comments. Um, Charlotte, I, I wonder if you have thoughts about, um, and we talk a lot on the show about the idea of moving back to public ownership or, or, or making energy more of a public good. It, it does seem to me that that the embrace of solar and individual solar um, is is a move in that direction. I mean it's not that's not the reason for it, but it's kind of the result is that it becomes more of a public good. Is that a is that a good read on on that? 
I think so. I mean, I think I think a lot of uh, more conservative folks who get into solar, who have an interest in in rooftop solar, on-site solar, um, do it both for economics, but also because they see it as an opportunity to sort of compete with uh, their um, monopoly utility. Um, and so I think there is that that thread that runs through the interest of folks. I will say, you know, I. I am. I don't have a position necessarily on the public ownership versus private ownership. I think, um, you know, there are a lot of municipal utilities in Michigan who are um, moving in the right direction on solar and have been doing some really interesting stuff, like community solar projects, and um, and don't have this cap um, and are a little bit better when it comes to to small scale solar. But they're also not great on on things like energy efficiency. Um, there are municipal utilities who are moving to end their energy efficiency program, um, and and doing some other things that I think are are not um, in the interest of their ratepayers and of the you know our effort to decarbonize. So I think you know there's positives and negatives with both um, options, um, but I understand why. Uh, there is growing frustration with DTE um, and with their sort of opposition to small-scale solar, which has been really strident. Um, and I think it would behoove them uh, to to move in a better direction on small-scale solar um, because it's just, you know, it's clear that residents in their territory want this um, and that it would help uh, in terms of um, rates, which are very high. Um, so, uh, and reliability, which, as we all know, um, with all the recent power outages, um, would be a huge boon. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Charlotte Jamison, Chief Policy Officer for the Michigan Environmental Council. It was really great to have you here to talk uh, about solar energy with us. Thanks so much for joining us on Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. When we come back, we're going to talk about a Highland Park community development project that is being powered by Carbon Zero Technologies. Really interesting experiment going on in a very needy community here in Southeast Michigan. We'll also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social media. Frank and Livonia, David and Rosedale Park, hang on. We will get to you next as well. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've decided to join us. A lot of us are hoping that policymakers will get their acts together and rescue us from the warming planet. 
But there are some of us who are also actively working to build out green technology in our own backyards. Highland Park has been a place for that kind of work recently. It's a space where community residents are working to create carbon zero homes and use solar power to generate lighting and Wi-Fi, which has already happened on particular blocks in the city. It is a really interesting experiment with a lot of implications for one of the most needy communities here in southeast Michigan. Uh, Highland Park has long been neglected with disinvestment, uh, other kinds of injustices heaped on the people who live there. And this is proof that they're not just going to take that. Uh, They are going to stand up and say, hey, We can make our own community better. Here to talk about one of the projects taking place in Highland Park is Juan Shannon. He is the founder of Parker Village HP, which is turning a vacant school into a cafe, garden, cultural center, and a space for sustainable housing. Juan, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell me about this project, Parker Village HP, what is it, and how did it come to it to be? Well, Parker Village um, is a smart neighborhood concept um, that we're building in the historic city of Highland Park, and um, it consists of a community resource center, a net zero housing, a co-work space. Steam Lab and Makerspace, also a urban and aquaponics farm, and a Healthy Choice Food Cafe. And it came about um, a few years ago when I was looking for a new home for my multimedia company, Modern Tribe Communications. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were in the um, Michigan Production Complex in Rochester Hills. Uh, during the height of the film industry. And um, when Governor Snyder um, shut that down, it, uh, it it caused a ripple effect throughout the Michigan film industry. So a lot of the um, people from out of state uh, left and just went to the next town that had tax incentives. And um, some of us that were from here or are from here, um, went on to create other things. My, my company has never been dependent upon one part of the entertainment industry. We actually do, um, everything A to Z. And so we, I wanted to come back to Highland park. I wanted to come back to my hometown and do something. And, um, I wound up finding, a space that was big enough to have um, film sets and different things like that in it, and et cetera. So, um, in researching the building, uh, my son, who does a little bit of construction, well, he does a lot of bit of construction actually, <laughs> but um, he uh, took a look at the building and then uh, looked at me and said, You realize. It's going to take two thousand dollars just to change the light bulbs in this place, right? <laughs> <laughs> and that um, that kind of started my uh, heightened journey <laughs> down renewable energy. Yeah, all right, <laughs> right. So, 
Necessity yeah, we, is we the a, mother of invention, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, we have a 43,000-square-foot former elementary school, the uh, the old Thompson Elementary School. And, um, you know, I was, I've always thought about solar, but, you know, when faced with um, that situation, I was like, wow, you know, we're going to need to find a way to make sure that um, – you know, during the development and, and even once we open that, um, you know, we're bringing in enough revenue to, to just keep the lights on. And so um, I uh, started my journey. I went down to uh, Green Garage, which is uh, down in the Wayne State University area. And they have, I think their building is maybe like 10,000 square feet, okay, something like that. And... Um, you know, sat in on a couple of their meetings and everything. And I found out that they basically were paying $400 a year. Y- yes, a year yeah. to heat and cool their building. <laughs> wow. My goodness. <laughs> and, you know, that, that was it for me. I, I was all in. <laughs> you were sold, right? Uh, <laughs> right. And, and talk about the implications of being able to do that, uh, to be able to create this this space that um, that is more efficient and 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 net carbon zero and things like that. Of course, there's a there's a financial implication, but there's also uh, a lot of other things that that a lot of other benefits, I guess that 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 has not just for you and your company, but for for lots of other people in Highland Park. Well, um, there's there's a large disinformation campaign um going on and um a lot of people for for whatever reason just don't realize that uh, the information is out there regarding solar and geothermal mm-hmm. and wind energy mm-hmm. and um uh blue infrastructure and uh, I mean the implications are huge, you know, mm-hmm. where a lot of folks are, are moving towards it. And here in America, we, we actually are behind a lot of countries that, mm-hmm. uh, have already, um, created large scale projects. You know, you've got, uh, Shanghai and Turkey and, um, these other countries that, uh, some parts of them, are already um, powered completely by renewable energy. We don't have the close. The closest thing we have to something like that is uh, Apple Park, where you know it's a large scale development, uh, primarily powered by solar energy. I think it's like ninety five percent, and then they have. Um, uh, energy efficient building that um, utilizes some other uh, non fossil fuel mm-hmm. um, generation in order to make up the other five percent. Don't quote me on the percentages, but <laughs> I'm pretty close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to give you a chance also to talk about the Community Crisis Coalition, which you're part of, and which recently won a federal grant. What is that, and what does that mean for Parker Village? Well, um, 
the Highland Park Community Crisis Coalition, HPC3, uh, was formed um, in 2020 as a response to the uh, COVID pandemic. And um, we, um, we were engaged in trying to make sure that um, certain resources and things were still getting to the people, food and um, some essential household items, uh, that, you know, folks don't think about, you know, when, you know, they first get hit by uh, an emergency like that. So, you know, we've passed out cleaning supplies and, um, like they said, food, water. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, coalition consists of uh, Mama Shoe with Avalon Village, mm-hmm. um Solidarity, which is uh, the executive director there now, is Shamika Nichols, um, the former ED Jackson Coppell, and myself with Parker Village. And so we have been working through this and received uh, a few different grants uh, in the process. And the latest one is the Communities Leap uh, grant, which offers... um, technical assistance uh, to, I believe it's 22 organizations uh, across the U.S. that uh, is receiving around $500,000 worth of technical assistance Mm. um, in order to not only apply for other federal grants, but um, to, um, to help with, like, research materials and uh, research professionals and things like that to help move along our project. Yeah, yeah. Or projects. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, it's all uh, it's all a very interesting uh, it's all a very interesting experiment, really, and not just the idea of green or carbon net zero um, development, but, but also this, this idea that, uh, that as individuals, we can do things that make huge differences, uh, on this front and, and make things that, that benefit not only ourselves, but, uh, but also our communities. Okay. Uh, Juan Shannon, uh, founder of Parker Village HP. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit today. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it. That is going to do it for us today. Uh, Come back tomorrow when we are going to talk about the promise of carbon zero homes. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Sam Corey. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And Detroit Today's music is created by Sam Bobian and Will Sessions. This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.